Welcome to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth, useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means it is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we want to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. The Samaritan showed compassion to a helpless man on the road while others ignored him and passed him by. Our actions often reveal our heart, and in this story, that is true. So let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, reading in the ESV, the English Standard Version. As we look at this portion of scripture, notice the five questions in these verses. Also, I'd like you to notice the actions of the Good Samaritan found in these verses. So let's start at verse 25 in Luke chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. A lawyer, an expert in the law of Moses, approached Jesus with the question, What must I do to inherit eternal life? This was the same question that was asked by the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. The question was not a sincere inquiry. Verse 25 tells us that the lawyer was testing him. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus answered this question with two questions of his own. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? That's verse 26. Jesus was making this expert in the law go back to the law to find his answer. The lawyer answered the question by quoting from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and Leviticus 19 and verse 18. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. That's Deuteronomy 6. And your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19. This man had a clear grasp of the law's key requirements. We should love God supremely and love our fellow man to keep the law's requirements. Jesus affirmed that if a man does this, he will live. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That's verse 28. He was also aware that he fell short of fulfilling these requirements. Here lay the real difficulty. Knowing something and doing it are two very different things. The fact is that we can't be justified by the law. Paul said, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's Galatians 2 and verse 16. There are three ways he could have reacted to the demands of the law. He could have acknowledged that he was a sinner and appealed to God for mercy. He could have concentrated on things that he did well and overlook where he had failed to live up to the law. Or thirdly, he could have weakened the law's requirements by reinterpreting them in a way that enabled him to live up to lower standards. It's this third option that the lawyer took. That is the reason that he asked the question, Who is my neighbor? in verse 29. The Bible says he tried to justify himself, that is, to defend himself against the implications of the words of Jesus. Do this and you will live. Live up to the law's demands and you will live. If this man was honest with himself, he should have responded by saying, How can I do this? I am not able to do this. It is impossible to do this. I need help to live this way. But this was not his response. Instead, he put up a front that he was a righteous man who was completely capable of doing what the law demanded of him. He was lying to himself to believe that he could fulfill the law of God. We call this self-righteousness. I can live a life of righteousness. The Bible says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He was trying to move the focus off of himself by asking the question, Who is my neighbor? This was an attempt to get himself out of difficulty by asking Jesus to define what the law means when it talks about my neighbor. What does my neighbor mean? Who is my neighbor? The Jews defined a neighbor in a very narrow way. 
they drew their definition from Leviticus 19, verses 15 to 18. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the son of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." They understood the word neighbor to mean a fellow Jew based on this scripture in Leviticus 19. This narrow definition of a neighbor did not include Samaritans and Gentiles. Jesus answered the question, who is my neighbor, by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan in this story was a good example of a good neighbor because he got involved in the life of another person who was in need. Jesus taught from this story that our acts of kindness performed for our neighbor should include any person, regardless of ethnicity or religion. A righteous man is one who gets involved in the life of others, especially those in need. Kindness shown to all people, friend or foe, is evidence that we have kept the law. According to this story, a good neighbor is that person who compassionately reaches out to those in need. Two things made the Good Samaritan a good neighbor. He had compassion and he got involved. The story of the Good Samaritan illustrates both of these qualities. Let's examine these two character traits of the Good Samaritan. First, the Good Samaritan got involved, verses 30 to 32. The Samaritan got involved in contrast to the priest and the Levite who passed by the dying man on the other side of the road. The man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This story is called a parable, but nowhere in the text of the scripture is it called a parable. Some have suggested that this story was real and that it actually happened. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's verse 31. The Bible says the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was probably a Jew, but the story doesn't state it clearly. The man was attacked and beaten by bandits, stripped of all of his belongings, and left for dead along the side of the road. This was a frequently traveled road between these two cities, a distance of about 19 miles. It was also one of the most dangerous roads to travel, notoriously known for its robbers or highwaymen. From Jerusalem to Jericho, the country was rocky and mountainous, and some parts of the road were scarcely inhabited. 
This rocky mountainous road provided a convenient place for highwaymen to hide and surprise isolated travelers. At this time, Judea abounded with robbers. Josephus says that at one time Herod the Great dismissed 40,000 men who had been employed in building the temple, a large part of whom became highwaymen. According to historical sources, there were no less than 20,000 priests and Levites who lived in Jericho in the first century. The temple was in Jerusalem, so of course there would be many priests and Levites who would be constantly traveling this road between these two cities. The priest and Levite were the most frequent travelers of this road. A priest was going along the road, and when he saw, he passed by on the other side. The Bible says that the priest saw him and passed by. The priest passed by the man, refusing to get involved and to help him. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. That's Luke 10, verse 32. I like the words of the New King James Version here. It says, a Levite arrived, came and looked and passed by. He stopped to analyze the situation before he decided to leave the wounded man and move on. The Levite passed by the man, refusing to get involved. Out of everyone on the road, you would think that the priest and the Levite would have stopped to help this man because of their religious office. These men were obligated by the law of Moses to perform works of mercy to those in need. According to Leviticus 23 and verses 4 and 5 and Deuteronomy 22 verses 1 to 4, God's people were required to show mercy to strangers and even to one's enemy. Ordinary human compassion has a much higher priority in the law than the mere observance of any ritual obligation. Both the priest and the Levite disregarded the law in passing by this suffering man. Why didn't they stop to help this man? We can only speculate. The priest and the Levite could have been on their way home from fulfilling their sacred duties in Jerusalem. They didn't have time to stop and help. Or perhaps this priest and Levite could have been on their way to Jerusalem to fulfill sacred duties. It was too inconvenient for them to help this man because they would be delayed. They could have used the familiar excuse, I don't have time. Perhaps the man is dead and I will become ceremonially defiled if I touch him. I can't allow myself to be defiled. This time they may have used the religious excuse, my obligation to God's laws prevent me from helping. But this man was not dead. Maybe they thought that this man was pretending to need their help while waiting highwaymen were planning to rob them. They may become a victim, the next victim. We need to get out of here quickly, they thought to themselves. So they used the familiar excuse, I'm in danger and I need to get out of here now. Fear was the motivation for not helping this man. 
Whatever their reason, religious or personal, they chose not to get involved. They had other priorities that were more pressing and important. To help this man would involve time, effort, and cost that they were unwilling to give. The cost in helping this man was much too expensive. The church often fails miserably in reaching the lost because it refuses to get involved in the lives of people. Evangelism often involves much more than giving someone the four spiritual laws. The priest and the Levite, as they walked down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, were unwilling to help a neighbor in need. It was much easier to fulfill religious obligations than to help a neighbor in need. The Samaritan did what Jesus would have done. He is an example of a Christian. We have heard the stories of those that refused to help others in need. Like the fisherman who watched a nine-year-old boy drowned in Lake Ontario. A nine-year-old, Jimmy Wilkinson, was playing with a pail when he fell into Lake Ontario. And all people could do is stand around, said Diana Reed, age 15. They could have saved him. At the time, about 20 men were fishing for smelt. They had nets and everything else, said Diane. A man had a pole and poked around for a while. Then he went back to fishing. Harbor police, who recovered the body six minutes after they arrived, said someone should have made the effort to help this boy. But no one did. They just stood around and looked. These people remained uninvolved, refusing to help a nine-year-old boy that drowned. A good Samaritan got involved and helped a wounded Jewish man on the road to Jericho. Secondly, the good Samaritan had compassion, verses 33 to 35. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He had compassion on him. Here we see compassion in action. As the Samaritan came upon this wounded man, he saw what had happened to him. He was moved with compassion by what he saw. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. That's verse 33. There was no love between the Jews and the Samaritans. They were bitter enemies who hated each other with a religious fervor. The Jews hated Samaritans because they were a mixed race. They had no dealings with each other because they were enemies. In John 4, when Jesus talks about the Samaritan woman at the well, John adds the small notation in John 4 and verse 9, For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. 
It was this fact which rendered the conduct of the Samaritan so striking. His actions stand out in strong contrast with the conduct of the priest and the Levite. They would not help their own wounded countrymen. The Samaritan would not be expected to aid this dying Jewish man because Jews and Samaritans were enemies. But the Samaritan man overcame his hostility and prejudice. He saw the wounded man as a neighbor who needed his help and showed kindness to this stranger. The Bible says he stopped. He came to where he was. He had compassion on him. He bound up his wounds. He set him on his own animal. He took him to an inn to rest and recover from his wounds. He watched him overnight. He secured help for him. He promised to pay all of his expenses. That's found in verses 34 and 35. All of this was done without any desire or expectation of a reward in return. If this story had been about a Jew, it would have been a great example of biblical righteousness. If it had been about a Gentile, it would have been a noted example of kindness. But it was about a Samaritan, a people most hated by the Jews. The Samaritan had no special reason for helping this wounded Jewish man. He had a multitude of reasons for not helping him. But compassion dissolved the differences. Love can dissolve our prejudice and partiality. This Samaritan had compassion on this wounded man who moved him to action. He cared enough to act. We all know what the Bible says about faith without works. That faith without works is dead. That's James 2 and verse 20. The ESV says it this way, that faith apart from works is useless. What kind of faith do you have? Do you stand and stare at the needy around you without helping them? Do you pass by them pretending that you didn't see their need? Our neighbors take notice of our acts of kindness. Our acts of love can be a hook that draws our neighbors to Christ. If our neighbors see that you care, they will be open to what you have to say. Compassion motivated the Samaritan man to act. His compassion cost him something. His care cost him time, energy, and money. Look at the actions of this Samaritan. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. He brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. That's Luke 10, verses 34 and 35. Two denarii is the equal to two days' wages, enough for several days' support. There is very little recorded about what this Samaritan said. 
take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. That's verse 35. Our compassion should be translated into something that we do, not just what we say. The story is told about D.L. Moody, who asked singer Ira Sankey to meet him at 6 o'clock one evening at a certain street corner. When Sankey arrived, Mr. Moody put him on a box and asked him to sing. It was not long before a crowd gathered. Moody spoke briefly, inviting the crowd to follow him to a nearby opera house. Before long, the auditorium was filled. The evangelist preached the gospel to the spiritually hungry people. When the delegates of the convention started to arrive, Moody stopped preaching and said, Now we must close as the brethren of the convention wish to come and to discuss the question, How to Reach the Masses. We can discuss compassion. We can preach compassion. We can teach compassion. We can even discuss compassion. But if we want to change our world, the most powerful thing that we can do is act in compassion. Our actions often speak louder than our words. Gregory the Great said this, and I quote, He who gives outward things gives something external to himself. But he who imparts compassion and tears gives him something from his very self. Unquote. Our acts of compassion are an extension of our soul. The Good Samaritan got involved in helping the wounded Jewish man by the side of the road. He had compassion on this wounded Jewish man. After Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, he asked a question, Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 36. In asking this question, Jesus was requiring the lawyer to make a judgment about the actions of these men. The lawyer was constrained to admit what he would have normally denied. He was compelled to acknowledge that a Samaritan had shown kindness, the kindness of a neighbor, while the priest and the Levite had not. Notice his answer to the question that Jesus asked. He said, the one who showed mercy, verse 37. His Jewish prejudice would not permit him to say, the Samaritan. Instead, he said, the one who showed him mercy. There are those who profess to be a good neighbor, but they do little or nothing to reach out and help the needy. This story teaches that a good neighbor is the one who meets the needs of those who are needy. The lawyer asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus answered his question by showing him who a neighbor is and what a neighbor does. A neighbor has compassion. A neighbor gets involved. A neighbor shows love. In the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus turned the question from who is my neighbor to who is the man that showed love. Jesus concluded the story by telling the lawyer, you go and do likewise. This is God's word to us, to be a good neighbor to those around us who are in need. We must go and do likewise.
join us in two weeks for our next episode of Relevant Truth. Never miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like this podcast, why not rate and review the podcast on iTunes? There is a website you could visit, relevanttruthpodcast.com, where you can find an archive of all of these messages and also book recommendations. You can contact me at rockrevmason79 at gmail.com or at the Facebook page, Relevant Truth Podcast. The music used in this podcast was produced by my son, Brent Mason. Thanks for listening.